I found this diet and I've been doing it and it's pretty darn easy if you like meat and I think you should try it. And they're, they're all like immediately like, yeah, I want to try it. What is it? You're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Barron, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Barron's 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. So, hey guys, welcome back to the Tactical Kitchen. Today is episode 18. Yeah, episode 18, and we have a great conversation today. Uh, but first, we'd like to explain why my voice is a little scratchy. You sound terrible this I know. morning. Wait, you don't sound as bad as I do. Do I sound like a chain smoker yet? <laughs> no, I, I think of Wolfman Jack from <laughs> as a kid. Yeah. I All know. right, everybody, this is Wolfman Jack. I know. Well, the reason why we sound a little scratchy is because we had someone's 30-year high school reunion. Yep. Had the 30-year high school reunion this weekend. It was really fun. Uh, we did Top Golf on Friday and then had a had a mixer Saturday night at a club. And, <laughs> you know, when you go to a club, it's a little loud, so you have to talk loud to everyone. And, man, it just blew my voice up. I know. It was like we were screaming at each other and everyone else all night long. <laughs> and guess what? We get to do this again next year at my 30-year reunion. Yeah. But it was a great time. I love seeing everybody. Um, great memories. Really fun to reminisce. I had a great high school class. Um, our uh, our athletic our football coach from high school, Coach Copeland, and also Coach Bailey were out there at the reunion. So we got to see them. Uh, love seeing those guys and just really fun. Um When we talk about Coach Copeland, now this is a coach that came to our wedding. This is this is like the coach. He gets coach of the infinity, I guess. He's awesome. We have a a different uh, relationship with our high school football coach. Uh, Long story about our cool high school football team, but we have uh, get-togethers pretty much every year and go hang out with our old high school football coach and talk to him. It's really fun. Yeah, we're doing that again in October. All the yeah. families are going. We're going to go hang out at his house. He's crazy. <laughs> oh, man. So that's just a good uh, point on building relationships for a lifetime. That's what we like to do and talk about. You know, people having great relationships make a great life. And everybody should focus on those. Absolutely. And it was. It was so much fun. But I was so tired of, like, talking loud. Oh, yeah. Which is abnormal because normally <laughs> I talk loud anyway. I don't know why, but when, like, the microphone turns on, I start talking about 30 decibels higher. I don't know. Maybe it's more than that. I don't well, really know what... because the people that are listening are far away and they, you want to get to them. I think that's what I, my brain says. And, oh, I don't know. It's crazy. Oh, we did a couple of experiments this week. Like, we don't talk about our keto diet um, too much anymore about that we're carnivore, not carnivore, whatever. But we did do an experiment. We still primarily eat mostly meat, but we had some gluten-free, low-carb pancakes yesterday morning. Mm -hmm. And we tested ketones and blood sugar. So, not real syrup, we use Lakanto maple syrup, so it's just a sugar alcohol, so there's no impact there. 
But it was interesting because I had a whole banana. I haven't had a banana in a really long time. And I used to love peanut butter banana pancakes. So I did this. My ketones never went below 0.7. And then I went right back up to 1.6 later in the like later in the day. So I never got really knocked out of ketosis. And, and that's just a, a good, I was the same way. I, I never went out of ketosis and my ketones fluctuated a little bit, but that just shows how you can reach what we call metabolic flexibility. Yeah. And that's the whole goal with the ketogenic diet for, at least for me, I hope it is for you guys too, to where you can get in a situation or you can have something one day and you really don't get knocked out of ketosis or if you do, you get back in really quick. And it was just a really cool experiment to see how our body's responding, especially since we just did the Germany trip yeah. and we ate a little bit of bread. So we kept the we kept the bread out. We had low carb, but it was, oh, it was so cool to see our body work like that. Mm-hmm. It is. And speaking of uh, you know, ketogenic diets, today we're talking to Dr. Ken Berry. Uh, this is the best conversation. It was so much fun. Really fun. He's a great guy. So Dr. Barry is a, a MD. He's a, a family practice doctor, but practicing in Tennessee, a uh, small town, but he's very, very passionate about fighting type 2 diabetes using the ketogenic diet. Someone didn't turn their phone off. Did you guys hear that? That was like a call to action. <laughs> I, I mentioned fighting type 2 diabetes and the, the horn went off. It did. That was so funny. So Dr. Barry is not just an MD. He is also basically a YouTube star. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has a great YouTube channel. Very informative. He, he does a lot of videos. Um, short ones, unlike us. He does. Yeah, he does. And if you there anything you want to know about the ketogenic diet, he pretty much has a video on it. If you haven't checked him out on YouTube, it makes me feel like, why are we even here? <laughs> you know, I guess it's just to promote Dr. Barry now because he's pretty awesome. He is. He's. I mean, he's. A, he was great to talk to. Really funny guy. And uh, I just love what he's doing. And we talked about not only his. He he has his his goals of fighting the type two diabetes. He has the white coat. So people will listen to him. And we were talking earlier, and we referred to that as like, it's like he has a cape. It's like he's Superman. Like a superhero. Yeah. Yeah, like a, a crime-fighting superhero, a sugar-fighting superhero. But the white, the white coat sometimes really helps people to put a little more confidence in what the person is saying. Mm-hmm. He's having a lot of success in his practice with using a ketogenic diet. And um, he does mention another thing that he's been doing, which is the carnivore diet. You'll want to hear what he ta- what he says about that. Yep. It's really awesome. And he also has a book called Lies My Doctor Told Me. Mm-hmm. And coming from a doctor who's dispelling some of the things that doctors actually tell patients... You should probably go get that book and read it. Yeah, absolutely. So with all that said, let's go ahead and get on to the conversation with Dr. Ken Berry. Okay, everyone, welcome to the Tactical Kitchen Show. Yeah, and today we are so excited to have Dr. Ken Berry with us. How are you doing today, Dr. Berry? I'm great. It's so good to be with you guys. Yeah, this is the first time we've ever actually spoken, but I already feel like we know you because we've watched so many of your videos. So I feel like we're just we're just sitting here watching a video, but you're getting to interact with us. It's so cool. Well, if you haven't seen uh, Dr. Ken Berry's videos, they're they're very good, and we like them because 
you, you keep them very short and concise and you have a point and they're, they're also funny. Uh, I, I think you have a lot of good funny points that you bring up. Uh, so we were kind of drawn to you because your, your attitude about uh, diet and health is very similar to ours. It could Excellent. be that Southern thing, right? It might be the Southern thing. You guys are in Texas, right? Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, we might have a bit of a rivalry going on with the Texas-Tennessee thing, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a strong, you know, fun rivalry, I guess. It is. It is. It's like uh, big brother, little brother. You, you know, we, we rib each other, but don't pick on my brother or you'll have trouble. Exactly. That's exactly true. So, you know, for people that might not have had the pleasure of watching your videos or know much about you, do you think maybe you could just share a little bit about your background? So, Sure, absolutely. So I'm Dr. Ken Berry. I'm board certified in family medicine. I'm an MD uh, and I've been practicing in a small town in Tennessee for the last 14 years. And I've, I've done labor and delivery. I've done emergency room. I've, and then I've had my clinic in which I've seen over 20,000 unique patients. And so over the length of that time, I uh, kind of an interesting story that we'll definitely get into if you guys want to about how I came to keto. But uh, I have a, a, a YouTube channel that I try to drop at least two, if not three new videos a week on. And it's been growing fairly briskly. And then uh, I have a, a, a Facebook page. Uh, if you just Google or Dr. Ken Berry, I think you'll find me on almost all the social media. I've got Instagram. I've got Twitter. And then I don't know if you guys have seen my wife, Nisha. If you just Google Nisha loves it, that pops up all her stuff as well. And she's, she's keto, but she's also fashion and she's also recipes and food. And so we kind of just try to take the best parts of life, you know, which are food, travel, fun, fashion, and just say, hey, here's probably the best way to do it so you can have the happiest life, the healthiest life, and the longest life. And, and so that's what we're trying to do. Oh, that is so awesome. I love that. It's like a one-stop shop right. <laughs> for everything. Exactly. Yeah. And you talked about your story. And one of the things that, you know, that I got from watching a lot of your videos is your journey on this uh, diet was very similar to ours. Um, you know, we, uh, we started having some health issues. We started paleo and then low carb, then keto. And, uh, you know, now we're on the carnivore thing. So what, what started you on that journey? So when I got out of residency training, I was working a lot of hours in the emergency room and that's a lot of, uh, seven A's to seven P's, but it's also a lot of seven P's to seven A's. And so, you know, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of nights with an hour or two or three of just in and out sleep as I jumped up to go take care of something in the emergency room. And I was also starting a practice during that time. So I was had to be up all day, every day. But then I was also up several nights a week and I was getting into my mid 30s. And so I started getting fat. (laughs) And I'm like, whoa, because all my life I'd been very slender, very athletic. So slender, in fact, I think when I graduated from high school, I, I was, I'm six foot three and I weighed 175 pounds. And so oh, you can wow. imagine that. You just picture the, the you know, esqueleto, as, as your neighbors to the south would say. And so, yeah, yeah and so I started getting fat and my, uh, like I started becoming pre-diabetic. Uh, my, my inflammatory numbers were going up. I was just, I was getting metabolically sick. And I thought now, you know, because I'm raised in the south and you guys know how it is in the south. You walk the walk or you shut up. You don't just talk the talk and then, you know, so I I was never, ever going to be okay with being that fat, sick doctor who walked into the exam room and 
proceeded to say, now, Melody, you need to lose 10 pounds. You know, and you're looking <laughs> at me, you're looking at me like, dude, your water's going to break at any minute, it looks like, you know? And so I just couldn't be that doctor. That's not my style. I have to lead by example. I have to walk the walk. And so I, I thought, I can't, I've got to fix this. So I thought, well, maybe I missed something in med school nutrition class. We had a, a one nutrition class my freshman year, first year, and it was half a semester, one day a week. Or and like for two hours a week for one, a half a semester. That was literally the entirety of my nutrition training. Wow. And I thought, well, I mean, it's med school, right? Obviously, they taught me everything I need to know. So I got up in the attic and dug around and found all my nutrition notes. And I'm coming down the attic steps. And you can maybe envision me carrying this huge stack of stuff as I come down. Actually, I could carry it between thumb and forefinger. It was one little paperback book and then a <laughs> half semester's worth of notes. It's probably 200 pages total. If that. And so I went through all that. And the, the take home message from all that was eat more whole grains, eat lots of uh, fruits, eat super low saturated fat and jog. That was the entirety of my training on nutrition in med school. And so if, if someone were a diabetic, they should eat lots of complex carbs. And so that, but still lots of carbs, but just complex carbs instead of the, I guess, uh, you know, the simpleton carbs. And so I thought, okay, got it. So I put that into action and I, for the next two months, I jogged every day and I ate super, super no saturated fat actually. And I would fry everything in canola or safflower if I did fry it at all. And I would saute with that and I would cook with that. I ate lots of whole wheat uh, bread and I went to Whole Foods and I got that stone ground, organic, you know, ancient grains, whole wheat bread. Yeah. Because I was a doctor and we can do stuff like that. Right. And so, (laughs) (laughs) right. And so so long story short, at the end of the two months, I gained 10 more pounds. And I was at that point. And so you can see that was kind of an epiphany for me. Like what the literal hell. Yeah. You're looking at the scale and going, wait a minute, maybe it's all muscle. (laughs) Right. Yeah. All muscle right here above my belt. Right. But you're, doing, you're doing everything right. I mean, exactly. And so, and so, yeah, in the South, we call that table muscle. Do you guys call that table yes. muscle in Tennessee? Yes. Yeah, if you got Dunlap? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so anyway, that was an epiphany for me because I realized up until that point, see, there's this thing that doctors, we, we secretly think about our patients that they're non-compliant. <laughs> like I told her, I told Melody to join Weight Watchers and to join the gym, but obviously she didn't do that because she's gaining weight and her A1C is higher. So obviously she didn't do that. She's sitting around on the couch eating Doritos and honey buns. That's why she's gaining weight because she's non-compliant. Yeah. But this made me face myself. I had to look in the mirror and go, dude, you've been doing this. I know. I live with me. I know what I've been doing. I've been, I've been eat, walking the walk. I've been jogging every day. I've been eating all kinds of whole grains and fruits and, and you know, raw fruit, not even fruit out of a can, really, really doing this right. And I have gotten sicker and fatter doing the very thing that I've been telling my patients to do. And that was a huge wake up call for me. Basically, I I realized I was full of crap. I didn't know what I was talking about when it came to the care and feeding of human beings. And so I went back to the drawing board, so to speak. And I thought, well, obviously, everything I'm doing inside the box ain't working. So I'm going to have to start looking outside the box for some kind of way because I'm not going to be that fat doctor. I'll quit and ride the garbage truck before I'm that fat doctor that looks like that one button's about to pop at any moment and put your eye out. I'm just not yeah, going to be that say, guy. It ha- you have the Dunlap? It Dunlap yeah, well, I had Dunlap out. bad. Yeah, I had Dunlap <laughs> bad, and my A1C was up to 6.1 at this point. So I was essentially pre-diabetic. And so I started reading. I started looking. I started Googling. 
because <clears throat> there was nothing medical. There was no medical tech. I, I, you know, I looked at all the medical textbooks. There's one big fat nutrition book that they recommended. It was worthless. It, it, it helped me not. And so I finally found an old copy of uh, Dr. Atkins' Diet Revolution at a rummage sale for 50 cents. Read that. Wow. And then I found The Primal Blueprint by Mark Sisson. And then I found The Paleo Diet by Lauren Cordain. And based on those three books, I thought, well, everything they're saying is completely backwards to everything I've ever been taught. But yeah. what I've been taught ain't working for my patients or for me. So I got to do something different. So I thought, okay, fine, I'll try. And so basically what I probably did was like a hybrid high fat paleo diet. Mm -hmm. yep. And immediately I started losing weight. Uh, my numbers started coming back to normal. I started feeling better because I had eliminated all liquid dairy. I had eliminated all grains. I was eating very few tubers, underground veggies, and I was eating basically meat and veg, right? And and not being afraid of saturated fat anymore. I started cooking with butter and lard and got rid of all the vegetable oils. And I always say that with air quotes because there ain't, there ain't no vegetables in them. They don't have vegetables in them, right? So why right. do you call them that? That isn't that that's that's false advertising. That's a, that's a good marketing ploy right there. Well, or a lie, however you want to, yeah, however you want to look at it. Well, most marketing is lying. <laughs> big fat lie. And so, yeah, big fat lie. That's exactly what it is. And so then I thought, okay, so this is working for me. And then I kept looking and I kept looking. And, I, and then I found kind of like the small niche at that time, the low-carb, high-fat community, and really started looking at that. And so I kind of eliminated fruits and I got even better, lost even more weight. And my numbers were almost back to normal. And so I thought, you know, I've, I've been doing this probably a year now. I'm going to start recommending this to my sickest patients who have tried every diet under the sun. They're morbidly obese. Their hemoglobin A1C is 10 or above. So their average blood sugar is 350 at any given wow. second of the day. Man. And I thought, what, is the, what have they got to lose? You know, I mean, right. basically for me to recommend this diet is malpractice according to the current guidelines. Right. But, but everything I've been trying to do for these people is I've been failing miserably. All I'm doing is just putting them on more and more medicine and more and more insulin. So I got about 10 of my fattest, sickest patients, and I and not, not all at once, but as they would come in for refills, and I would say, hey, dude. And they're like, dude, you look great, man. You're, you're, you've lost weight. I'm like, yeah, I was wanting to talk to you about that. I found this diet, and I've been doing it, and it's pretty darn easy if you like meat. And I think you should try it. And they're, they're all like immediately like, yeah, I want to try it. What is it? Right. <laughs> right. And so I, t I told them about it and they all started losing weight. They, I would have to stop diabetes medications. I'd have to stop blood pressure medications, which made me very, very happy. And it was really the first time in my medical practice that I actually enjoyed going to work. Cause you can imagine going to work every day and, and telling 50 different people to do something and then knowing in your heart, they ain't going to do that. Or at least it right. seems like they're not doing that. But actually, they were listening to me. I just didn't know I was giving them crappy advice. And so I really started to enjoy when those guys would come around because they're like, oh, yeah, I've lost another 20 pounds. One of them got mad at me. He's like, dude, I hate you. I'm like, why? He said, I've had to buy $400 worth of new clothes. I didn't have anything that would fit. You know? Right. And I so he was he, he, he was jokey mad. But he was still kind of mad because, you know, 400 bucks is 400 bucks. Oh, yeah. And so, he was a traveling salesman. And so he had to, you know, he couldn't be, he couldn't be wearing a tent to his business meetings. He had to actually dress kind of sharp. And so I was really excited. So then I said, okay, if anybody's got an A1C of eight or above, I'm going to start telling them about this diet because nobody's had any side effects. Nobody's had any complications. Nobody's had any problems. 
So obviously I haven't killed anybody with it. So I'm going to keep spreading this word. <laughs> so and far, so, nobody has died. <laughs> yeah, nobody's died. Nobody's gotten sick. Nobody's, you know, had a stroke or a heart attack. They actually are getting healthier instead of sicker. And so because it's hard to understand for the average person, but doctors are in a very precarious position. And let me explain. If I were tomorrow at the Berry Clinic in Camden, Tennessee, if I were to discover the cure for cancer, right? Literally the cure for all cancer. Boom, home run, right? How and, and so in a modern America, how do we how do we spread the word? We advertise, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I started advertising, hey, I've got a cure for cancer at the Berry Clinic, come see me. The medical board would be on my doorstep. My license would be either on probation or suspended. I'd be fined anywhere from ten to a hundred thousand dollars. I would be, and they would be like, you cease and desist with the advertising immediately or we will take your license away from you. And I'd be like, no, dude, seriously, I've, I've cured cancer. Look, here's the research. We don't care. Is it recommended by the, you know, the, any of the big cancer societies? Is, is the AHA on board, the ADA, ADA, AMA? And I'd be like, well, no, I just, cure, I just discovered it. Well, then we, you shut up right now. Don't say another word about it until you have a randomized control trial to prove it. Then, we'll, then you, maybe you can say it out loud, but probably still not. Wow. So that and so doctors really cannot step out of the box without a substantial amount of financial and even career level risk with stuff like this. And a lot of people don't realize that. And they think that doctors are just fat and lazy, which most of them are, but that they're just not, you know, they just don't want to fool with it or whatever. But it's not just that. That is part of it. They're stubborn and they're hard headed and they're lazy. A lot of them are. But also there's a very real career danger that you'll lose your career you you will wind up riding the garbage truck if you keep saying this out loud because they'll take your license away from you because we have to go by two things standard of care and and then the guidelines from the big organizations but then also there's this thing called community standard of care and so if i'm doing anything that's very far outside the bounds of what other doctors in my you know a hundred mile radius are doing that can still trigger a red flag event and then come see what I'm up to. And so doctors are in a very precarious position. I don't think that that gives them any excuse whatsoever for ignoring the truth. I think part of our jobs as professionals and people who have taken an oath is to stand up against the powers that be if that ever becomes necessary. I think that's part of our duty as professionals and as, as people who have taken an oath is to take that risk if that becomes necessary. And I felt like that was necessary. And so I took the risk and I still take it every day. Well, you've got a body of proof to back it up. So it, it seems like, you know, what you're doing is working. And, and just like you said, you, you took an oath and, you know, do no harm is part of the, uh, you know, what doctors take an oath for and you're curing people, which is what the intent of medical practice is. So, And, you know, all those doctors that are out there that just prescribe medication upon medication and it only gets worse, like you said, you know, you said they're lazy. I don't know if they're just uninformed or they're just not, um, uh, they don't have the will to step out of that box like you did. Yeah, Yeah, all that. And how, how does that affect you daily? I mean, you are kind of putting yourself at risk every day by recommending this. Yeah. So have you had any kind of like uh, pushback from anyone, if you don't mind me asking? Well, yeah, I have had some pushback, but it's nothing that I can't handle. It's nothing that has spooked me, obviously, because I'm still dropping those videos every yeah. week. And so I, I really, at this point, I think that the, the ketogenic way of eating, low-carb, high-fat, ancestral, 
I think that it's big enough, and I think that I have a big enough platform now that if if the Silly State Medical Board were to think, oh, you know what, let's go get Barry, I think that there would descend upon Nashville, Tennessee, the weight of the entire low-fat ketogenic community, uh, emails, phone calls, letters, you know, people pulling up in their mobile homes. I'm not sure what would happen if they thought, hey, you know what, let's let's shut Barry down. I'm not sure at this point, but it sure would be interesting, wouldn't it? Oh, it would be. It would yeah. be. It would be a good time. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would expect to see lots of guys like you two, and you know, people <laughs> like you, be like, "What? Oh, hell no! Come yeah. on, let's make a road trip." Yeah, I think yeah, I think that sure. would happen. Oh yeah, yeah, we'd definitely show up and, and uh, <laughs> swing the swing the uh, the attitude around because we, exactly. we have friends that are in the, the medical practice and. We've talked to them about this, and even the ones that are on board and they agree that the diet is beneficial will still st- say that I can't recommend it to anyone because it goes against the you know the standard of care. Right. Yeah, and the interesting thing about this is we are set to go to Low Carb USA in San Diego at the end of this month, yes. and there is going to be a standard of care initiative going on at the conference there. Yeah, and that's awesome. It's very needed because, um, yeah, it, it literally, if a doctor, and here's the, here's the schizophrenia of modern medicine. If I had a patient with the A1C of 14, right, they're terribly metabolically sick, end-stage diabetes, I've got them on three different pills and two, two injections. If they come to me and I recommend the ketogenic diet, which everybody knows is going to lower their A1C, it's going to help them. I could lose my license. But if I say, you know what, let's add another pill. And this pill is going to, it's going to lower your blood sugar, but it's actually going to do that by raising your insulin level. So that's actually not going to decrease your risk of heart attack or stroke one-tenth of 1%. It's really not going to protect you from any of the ravages of uncontrolled type 2 diabetes. My license would be completely and utterly protected and safe by doing that. Like I would be untouchable by doing that. But if I recommended a diet, I could literally lose my license immediately. That's the current state of schizophrenia in medical practice in the U.S. and I suspect most parts of the Western world. But you can see, and I'll tell you, there are many, many doctors and everybody listening, listen to me, hear me on this. Your doctor probably knows about keto and your doctor may even be doing keto because, you know, we want to be healthy. And so if your doctor's losing weight and you're like, what are you doing, doc? And he's like, oh, nothing. Yeah, he's probably doing keto. (laughs) Not even kidding, but he's afraid to tell you about it. So I want people to keep going to their doctor and keep asking them about keto because that's how we're going to move the meter. That's how we're going to change the paradigm because it's never going to come from the top down. Never is the ADA going to get on the the six o'clock news and say, well, sorry, but we've been wrong for the last 50 years. We were full of crap. It's exactly, actually, you need to do the exact opposite of what we've been telling you this whole time. That's never going to happen. AMA is never going to do that. The AHA is never going to do that. So this change has to happen because we're becoming very sick as a society, but it's never coming from the top. So it, it can only come from the bottom. It can only come from the grassroots. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, exactly. And you know, most movements are like that. They come from the people. And yeah. we, we, you know, we, we move things with our dollar with how we spend our dollar. If you stop buying carbohydrates, you know, processed food, then those industries yep. take a hit. 
And Magically, they'll stop making them very quickly. That's right. All of a sudden, they'll be like, how can we make this keto? You know, mm-hmm. you start moving the the. Yeah, well, you went to National Grocers today. And yeah. We were and talking about how much they had on the shelf that was labeled keto. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went into Natural, natural Grocers, which is, a, if anybody isn't familiar with them, they're a more holistic kind of grocery store. And, but it is interesting for a while, it was like all, oh, this is paleo or gluten-free, but now there's little stars on things that say, this is keto and it's, you know, on the shelf so that people know it's becoming a a real buzzword. And there's a lot of knowledge that is coming out. And thanks to you, there's a lot of available knowledge that are, it's just right at people's fingertips and they can find out how they can implement this diet and see their health improve. Absolutely. And let me say, let me say right now, let me say this, everybody listening to this, just because it's got that little sticker on it that says keto, you're not going to trust that. Okay. Because let me ask you, what would be cheaper for a big food corporation to actually make a food keto or to put a little sticker on it that says keto. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Right. So the first step is they're going to call it keto. Yeah, the first step is they'll call it keto. And then when you keep calling their hand on that bull crap, eventually they'll actually make it keto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually. Luckily, Natural Grocers is a, has a little bit of integrity. And, you know, we're no affiliation with them, but they have it on things like eggs and butter and heavy cream. And you're like, yes, it's on real food. So, good. you know, that's, that's a good thing. Well, and that's helpful because a lot of people, you know, we, we do health coaching and Melody has, uh, you know, um, clients that she deals with. And a lot of times people that really don't know when you tell them to do a keto diet, they don't know what falls into the category of keto. So it is beneficial that way someone that's trying to start can go to the store and at least see what is supposed to be keto. Not that it always is like you, point you you made but it it is helpful and it's great to see with your patients being in now we live in a small town in texas and being in a small town in tennessee did you have to do a lot of education with your patients because you have to start like for instance my mom macaroni and cheese is a vegetable right (laughs) you know this is the south right yes Ketchup is a vegetable, according to the federal government's school funding program. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Peanut, peanut butter and jelly is a protein, according to the federal government's uh, food program. That you know the the federal dollars that go to school cafeterias and hospital cafeterias, they get to count ketchup as a vegetable and peanut butter and jelly as a protein. So yeah, there's tons of education that I have to do, and it's actually. What I'm what I'm doing is educating people about diet, but really, really, ultimately, what we're doing is we're shifting people's paradigm, and we're actually teaching them to use language properly again. Because I'll give you an example. I had a guy the other day. He's like, "Man, I'm doing this keto thing, but it it just ain't working." And I'm like, "Okay, well, tell me what's your you know what's a typical dinner?" And he told me, and I said, "Okay, what's a typical breakfast?" And he it was him and his wife, and they're their diabetes is terrible and it had gotten a tiny bit better, but nowhere near what it should have been if they were truly keto. And I said, well, what do y'all, what's y'all's normal breakfast? And, and she puffed up or she said, well, we have the same thing every morning. We have a bran muffin and a banana and an orange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, um, okay, where to start, where to start, take a deep breath, count to 10, because I've been telling these people for five years. And so it's literally, it's and, and one lady told me this, she was Pentecostal, 
And she said, really, what you're telling people, it's almost like telling them, okay, you're a Pentecostal, Miss McGillicuddy, but from this day forward, you're going to be a Methodist. She said, because she she's a type 2 diabetic, and she said, that's how hard it's been for me to give up some of these foods. It's almost like changing religions. Yeah. Because my, my mama taught me how to eat this. And then they, they reinforced it all my upbringing in school, every television commercial. She said, I've been indoctrinated to this way of eating since I was a little tiny girl, old enough to understand English. And she said, really, what you're doing, it's almost as difficult for people to change the way they eat as it is to say, OK, now you're, you're a Methodist or you're a Baptist. You're no longer mm-hmm. what you were. And she said, it's, it, it, I don't, she said, I don't know if it would be any harder for me if you had said, oh, you got to be a Methodist from now on. And I said, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. It is that hard for many people because food's not just fuel. We like to say, oh, fuel, food is just your fuel, right? But it's much more than that. It's emotional. It's got your mama and your daddy wrapped up in it. It's got your childhood wrapped up in it. It's got your favorite childhood cereal commercials, the jingle of which you still remember to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, if I say snap, crackle, pop, you can finish that sentence. I, I don't even have to say it. You hear it in your head before it, you even say it out loud. And so we're truly indoctrinated to think that these things, that is real food, even though it's yeah. not real food at all. Yeah. And so a huge part of this is just helping people gently change their paradigm about food just one little step at a time. And I like to start with breakfast because that's just, you know, that's a great way to if you're going to eat breakfast, it needs to be a good keto breakfast. And that's a good way to start because I used to try to revamp the entire menu and that's impossible. You can't do that with the average person. You have to just start one little step at a time and pick your battles. And my current battle is I just start with breakfast and then we go from there. Well, you know, in the South, you know, you pointed out, we, we love each other with food. That's how yeah, exactly we show love. And, and one of the things that we try to, the paradigm we try to break with people is, Hey, giving someone a birthday cake or uh, an apple pie, that's not really loving them because yeah. detrimental down the road. So like you <laughs> yeah. said, that, that is built into people uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, if you go to a function, whether it's a, a church function or a, a birthday party, you bring, you know, sugary foods, sweet foods to celebrate the event. And that's something that that's, you know, like you said, that's societal. We got to break that paradigm and uh, just stop having people love each other with food that's going to kill you. Yeah. Or just love each other with bacon. Yeah, with bacon. <laughs> right. Bacon. Bring me a bouquet of bacon. And, yes. And that's what we do. Melody always brings a very keto-friendly uh, dessert or dish to every family event um, because they know they know we're keto. Of course, they think we're crazy, but and and there's it's the only you know dish there that really is keto so yeah so you try to do that and and make those changes because we are i mean we we all have family events and parties or like you said church events where we do we do want to bring something and contribute so this is hard when you're raised in that environment where we do love each other with food it's very hard to break some of those bonds with that I, you know, I, I think it was hard for me at first because growing up, that's how we celebrated everything was with food. Exactly. And yeah. so really we're not, you know, I could tell a patient exactly how to eat keto and then make them repeat it back to me. And, <laughs> and they, right. And so intellectually they've got it, but emotionally they don't got no. it. And then, I mean, we're even reaching in because when you're talking about stuff you were fed when you were two and three and four years old, 
you're talking about a, an unconscious and a subconscious component to that as well. And so you mm -hmm. can't just intellectually teach people this and then expect them to go home and do it. That's mm -hmm. never going to happen. And so I love it that you guys are leading by quiet example, because that's one of the things that I tell people all the time. you got to lead by example, because I would expect that everybody at y'all's family gatherings don't look like you two do. And so <laughs> when no, you, you know, they may they may say out loud intellectually, oh, you're crazy. But but, uh, you know, on an emotional level, they see you guys and are like, damn, they look good. Right. And so I wonder what they're doing. And then they're like, oh, yeah, it's that keto crap. Maybe I should Google that. Right. Yeah. And so then. <laughs> Maybe I should Google that. And then when it when it gets to the emotional level, then they'll they'll act and they'll actually take stuff deeper into their psyche rather than it just being a front brain intellectual. Oh, yes. OK. Eat more fat. OK. Got it. Then they go home and they're like and I've literally had guys come back to me and say, yeah, you know, I used to eat like an RC Cola and a moon pie for breakfast. That's what I used to have just because wow. I didn't know any better. But now that you've taught me about this keto, I'm eating a lot better now. And I'm like, oh, cool. What are you eating? They're like, special K and skim milk. <laughs> I do. And I'm like, dude, you should just have the moon pie. It tastes better. And it's exactly the same thing. There's no difference yeah. between those two breakfasts. But they, and he's like, well, damn it. I thought I was doing better. I'm like, no, that's exactly as bad. It's we no better at same, all. We deal with the same uh, same issues trying to educate people who eat low fat yogurt and a banana for breakfast, and they think you know that's that's healthy with a bagel, and that's that's right. a healthy meal. Right. And and like you said before, that's that's just that's what has been pushed, and it's incorrect. And people like you just try to get the word out that that's not the way to eat. Well, I yeah. I find that it's kind of funny because Special K does not taste that good, and no. skin milk is really gross. Yes, it's awful. It's terrible. And I think I heard you say it's it's the devil on Yeah, skim milk is the devil. Yeah. <laughs> it's the devil. It's just all the sugar left over and none of the fat, none of the goodness. That's right. And you know, when people start eating bacon and eggs for breakfast, and you realize how with butter and how delicious yes. that is, and you compare that to a bowl of special K with skim milk on it i don't know where the breakdown is of how that you don't you know you don't jump right on the bacon egg bandwagon there because that is so delicious it seems like a no-brainer it really does but it's it, i think it's just so hard for people to get over that instilled fear of fat because yeah, you know but, I know, it, but when when these people start eating bacon and eggs they're like dang this is delicious but they still got their mama's voice deep down inside. They're going, you shouldn't be eating that. And I, I tell people, it's a lot like if you, you know, if you're a, a holy roller evangelist and you sneak off to the bar and you have a beer and a cigarette and flirt with a pretty girl, it's like, dude, that was fun, but that was so wrong. It's and so that, much I, guilt. Right. And these people literally feel like there's no way this is healthy. There's no way because they've got those unconscious and subconscious things that are deep in there that are, literally telling their brain dude what are you doing this is so unhealthy bacon and eggs and eggs and bacon and you're eating the yolk and it's not turkey bacon omg what are you doing this is going to kill you you know today or tomorrow right and then don't let's not even talk about going straight carnivore and eating ribeyes for dinner too right, so, <laughs> so you recently done a, a carnivore experiment is that still going on are you kind oh of yeah yeah i don't know if i'll ever stop I'm not officially recommending carnivore to anyone yet officially just because I'm still experimenting with it myself. But, and I, I had wonderful success on the ketogenic way of eating, 
and I and I kept hearing about carnivore, and I thought, you know, that kind of appeals to me. I think I'm going to try it. And I thought about it. I read about it a little bit, and then I did my. I sent Nisha and I sent off our 23 and Me. We got our our genetics back. Yeah. And I am I am hugely uh, Nordic, Scandinavian, Northern European, Scotch Irish, and then I've got more. I've got more Neanderthal DNA than 93 percent of the population. And so I had been just so happened been reading about Neanderthals and I watched a, a YouTube video by Dr. Edes, E-D-E-S, and we can actually tell what Neanderthals ate. We can go back and do carbon and nitrogen dating on their bones and you can tell what percentage of veg, what percentage of fruit, what percentage of meat, even what kind of meat they ate because of the nitrogen and carbon content in their bones. They were carnivores. Unless they were starving and stuck, they never eat plants mm-hmm. and yeah. so i thought huh maybe i should be a, maybe i should try this carnivore so i'm like okay i'm gonna try it so i bought a huge stack of ribeye steaks and about 15 pounds of ground beef the cheap ground beef got a bunch of sardines got a bunch of eggs and a bunch of Kerrygold butter and so for the next month that's what i ate and i lost five pounds and everybody who saw me was like dude you look great you look thinner you look like i don't know you just look better and what it was i was even less inflamed Right on, yeah. on carnivore than I was on keto. And so I thought, and at the end of the month, I was like, you know what? I, I ain't going back yet. I'm going to do another month. And so I'm, I'm probably on month five now of carnivore. And every now and then I'll have some veg. Like we went on the low carb cruise and I had a couple of, you know, meals. I'd have some veg with it. And uh, then we went uh, to, to keto con or yeah, keto con in Austin. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I had a little veg. But I'd say 95% of my diet is fatty meat carnivore right now. And I feel amazing. The only thing that I have routinely that's not carnivore is coffee. That's literally yeah. it. That, that's pretty much the route we went. Um, I've recently just added back in a little bit of sauerkraut. That's the only vegetable that I feel really comfortable with. Now, we probably, people that listen to us know we've done the carnivore diet and people that listen to you probably know about your experiment some people this makes their head spin around yes you yeah, want to talk absolutely. about getting people riled up it is the carnivore diet oh my gosh you've got to have fiber so how do you feel obviously you feel awesome and you look great for i mean people can see you on youtube um but i mean that do you get pushback from anyone when you've experimented with that about the fiber. Oh, you need this. I don't get much uh, pushback face to face, but I do get a lot of pushback on social media because they're like, yeah, but what about fiber? Yeah, but what about vitamin C? And so I try to explain to them, you know, that, that for the majority of many, many human cultures existence, like the entirety of the Inuit existence, they ate 100% fatty meat 100% of the time. And they were not fat. They had basically, I think, one one Western doctor went and lived with them, and he would Mm -hmm. do autopsies when they would die. And their coronary arteries looked like teenagers, but they lived on blubber, literally lived on blubber. I'm not even Mm -hmm. exaggerating. Yeah. Pure, all they had was was mainly, it was probably 70-30 fat to protein, you know, fat to lean meat. And that's what they lived on the entirety of their life. And so when their babies would come off the breast and to be weaned, they weren't weaned on goldfish crackers and, and <laughs> yeah. you know, so, soybean formula. They were weaned on meat. That's what those, they would, the mother would chew up the meat and then give it to the baby. And that's what the baby ate was meat. And from day one, their first solid food was meat. And they grew up, they, they reproduced, they were, they were vigorous, they were hunters. 
And they didn't just go, you know, they didn't hunt squirrels and rabbits. They hunted walruses, polar bears, and big crap that would scare the pants off most people. Right. So, I mean, they were very vigorous, very vibrant, successful hunters. And it's the same way if you go to Northern Europe. Maybe for one month a year, you would eat keto, but for 9, 10, 11 months out of the year, you were a carnivore because that's all there was. Right. There's there's not a whole lot of plants growing in, you know, up where the uh, the Inuits are at with all the snow. Well, I right. even say looking around, just like I try to use common sense a lot. <laughs> and so when I get in my car and I drive down the freeway and I look around, I don't see a whole lot of vegetation that I can just jump out of my car, grab and eat if I'm hungry. Right. right. So, you know, just that aspect alone that it's hard to come by enough vegetation that's edible that you can digest, which we know we can't digest cellulose. Um, but the whole point of it is just to make that short chain fatty acid to get saturated fat. I take the shortcut. I eat the beef. Right. <laughs> I just eat the saturated I just fat. Eat the yeah. saturated fat. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Peter Ballastat. He's a he's a rheumatologist. Yeah. yeah, you've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're, we're part of the Ruminati. Ah, uh, yeah, I love yeah. him. But he he just put up a a, a little like a, a graphic meme on Twitter the other day, and it was a picture of cows, and it said, "We eat the grass, so you don't have to." <laughs> yes. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so basically, when you eat a cow, you're eating grass. It's just mm-hmm. one step removed. Like the cow has digested the grass and turned it into usable nutrition for you. That's what he's done. And so that's, I think that's what carnivore is, is you're basically eating purified veg. That's what you're eating because all of the, all of the animals eat the grass and then they make us tasty meat. Yep. Yeah. We call it fermented foods. That's right. Fermented the vegetables for me. So now I just eat them in that form so I can digest them. Now, uh, something else I want to touch on real quick, um, just to see if you had any, any experimental thoughts on it is, uh, you know, I'm a veteran, so I'm retired Air Force and I know a lot of guys, uh, that have issues with, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, have you seen doing the, the keto carnivore diet, any benefits with anxiety, stress, uh, any type of post-traumatic stress disorders? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I actually, I'm in a very rural part of Tennessee and we're more than 40 miles from the nearest VA facility. So you guys may know there's the 40 mile rule. If somebody's more than 40 miles from the nearest VA facility, they can apply to see a local doctor. And so I've got a lot of those guys who come see me. And of course, many of those guys have been in the Middle East or in Afghanistan or, you know, Vietnam even, Yep. I may have one or two that were in Korea, but they're getting pretty old now. I, don't, I can't think if I have any, but, but yeah, you know, so many of those guys have just seen terrible, terrible things and lived terrible life experiences. And that can leave you with PTSD. That's just almost disabling. Mm-hmm. And so a, a lot of these guys would come to me cause you know, the standard VA treatment for PTSD is, Oh, here's a handful of pills. Correct. Right. And so they're on, you know, anywhere from two to seven different medications and so I just gently start talking to these guys about keto and about carnivore very gently, just bring it up. And, and, you know, and I'll be like, you know, I've had a lot of people with ADD be able to decrease or stop their attention deficit disorder medications. I wonder what it would do. And I know very well what it's going to do for their PTSD, but I kind of form it in a question like, wonder, I wonder if it would help your PTSD. You should try it. And, you know, maybe two out of 10 initially were like, yeah, it's a good idea. I think I'll try that. And so then we start weaning down their medicines because a lot of the medications you take for PTSD, you can't stop quickly or you will 
be having nightmares and, and panic attacks and everything else. And so we just start to slowly wean their medications and six months or a year later, they're off all their meds and they still have a nightmare every now and then. And they still are, you know, hyper vigilant because it, you can't go through those life experiences and not be that for the rest of your life. But as far as the disabling PTSD, it's, it's basically in remission. Wow. And now I've had that same experience that you just spoke of and you, you used the word hypervigilant and that's something that, that I had an issue with was being hypervigilant in crowds uh, on the road, going to the grocery store where you can't turn off the uh, always assessing a threat. Uh, right. and, and so that keys you up all the time. And that type of stress on your body over time, it, it's bad. It does not, yeah. you know, the, the end game on that is you're going to have issues. And, and I was starting to have issues and even things like waking up in the middle of the night and feel like somebody's trying to get in my house and right. I have to clear the house inside and out before I can even rest and go back to bed. Uh, that right. happened. And w- once we really uh, went strong keto, those feelings of anxiety and hypervigilance, it just, it toned down. I really, you don't have them as often. And then the longer I've been doing it, just the better it has gotten. Yeah, absolutely. And I had one guy tell me, he had done several tours in uh, the Middle East. He said, you know, now I'm still I'm still still very vigilant. But he said, I'll tell you, Doc, I think it's stupid not to be vigilant. And I said, no, dude, I totally agree. I think yeah. in today's times you need to be vigilant. Right. You don't want to be hyper, you know, or pathologically vigilant. But, yeah, you do need to be vigilant. And he said, now, he said, I kind of, it's almost like a game for me. I'll go into a big crowd or whatever. And he said, I'm still assessing everybody. But it's not from a from a standpoint of anxiety or fear or threat. Yeah, I've just made it a game. Like I, I'm like, oh, that guy's packing, and that guy probably knows martial arts, and that guy, I'd have to, you know, I'd have to gouge him in the eye because he's too big for me to whoop, you know. And he still goes through the room and does his thing, yeah. but it's more of a game now instead of instead of it being like he, you know, his heart rate's 140 and he's got to leave because he just can't take it anymore. Right. And that's, that's, you know, it's funny that that's all the stuff I do. And, and again, it, it is a game for me and she'll tell you, I'll point out everybody that has certain yeah. characteristics. Yep. But yep. The thing was when you're hypervigilant, you don't enjoy the time that you're actually in. You cannot be present. And right. if you go to Disney world or if you go to, uh, you know, any event, you don't enjoy what you're doing because you're hypervigilant. And now, yep. like you said, it's a game to assess the threats and assess people and, and, and look at uh, escape routes and, you know, the, the hazards and all that stuff, but it does not take away from enjoying what you're doing. And that's the big thing is, like you said, you can be vigilant. You just, you know, you want to enjoy the experience you're having with your family or your, your loved ones. Exactly. Yeah. So I know that um, you have your book, Lies, uh, yeah. My Doctor Told Me. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, there's so much in there that, People can get, and they're going to identify with all of these thought processes from cholesterol all the way through. I I know you talk about like diverticulitis and all these different things that people go to the doctor and they get told one thing, but really, you know, the doctor's just, it's not kind of like it's just hearsay. They heard yeah. this is, you know, I think it's I heard exactly. No, it's not like hearsay. It is hearsay. It, it is. Absolutely right. <laughs> Nuts are bad. Nuts and seeds are bad for di- diverticulitis. I know I've heard you talk about that. And then that's really not true. And right. they just keep passing the same information on to patients who willingly take it because it's a person in a white coat talking to them. So they right. must know. So your book is super important for people who want to take control of their health. 
and they want to get a better understanding of when they go to their doctor, how they can approach that person in the white coat and ask these questions. Do you have any advice other than just, yes, go buy the book (laughs) (laughs) for someone when they do go to talk to their doctor? Because that's a, that's usually a, a, a very sensitive place for people to be in where they question their doctor. Yeah. And so I would, I would, I would advise everyone to absolutely question your doctor, because as I say in the book, you've only got one life. This is not a video game. There's no reset button. If you take bad medical advice from your doctor and it harms your health extensively, one of these days you might be able to sue him and win a seven figure victory, but you still don't have your health. You still, Mm -hmm. you can't do stuff with your family. So it really does. That's irrelevant. Really. What you want to do is not ruin your health to start with. And so if you found something on the internet, print it out. If you've, if you've read a book that really triggered you and inspired you, take it to your doctor with the passage, passage underlined. If your doctor gets flustered or pissed off and just doesn't want to even consider that and is kind of offended that you would bring something like that to him, that's a huge red flag that you might need a new doctor. Mm-hmm. But if your doctor's like, hey, I'm busy right now, but I'll, you know, I'll, let me write this down. I'll Google this later. I'll check it out. I'll look at it and we'll talk about it next time. That's a great sign because doctors, we can't know everything. We can't read everything. We have to pick and choose, right? And mm-hmm. so if, if, a, if a doctor loves his patients like he should, then he's going he's gonna to be like, okay, I know this is stupid, but Miss McGillicuddy really wanted me to check out this you know, keto crap, whatever. I don't know. So I'm going to look into it a little bit just to make her happy, right? just like you would do for your mom or your aunt. You, you'd be like, well, that was dumb, but I'm going to do it just because, you know, I like her, and so I'll do that. But when enough people do that, it's going to stick, and that doctor is going to be woken up. And, and I, the way I say it is once that doctor hears the bell ring, you can't unhear the bell. And once he sees a patient whose life is literally transformed, because I had a lady today who drove from Arizona to see me in the clinic. Wow. She had lost 110 pounds on keto she had stopped four different medications and she went to her doctor and 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 he she didn't tell him what she was doing he just thought she was following his advice and then when she came off the fourth medication he rechecked her labs and he's like your your ldl has went up we're we're gonna what kind of diet are you eating and she's like well i mean obviously he's seen all my success she had cured her hypertension cured her type 2 diabetes Right. Her metabolic syndrome was back to baseline normal. Her waist to height circumference was now normal. Like these are the hugest, hugest risk factors for heart attack and stroke. But he was going to get triggered about the LDL going up. And when she told him keto, he he all but threw her out of his office. He's like, no, you got to stop that or I won't be your doctor. And she's like, but I but everything I just what what? Like, it's literally like he was just like, no, no, I'm not going to even no, no, stop. Stop Wow. Right. And so she drove all the way to Tennessee to see me and she wants me to be her doctor because of that. Like that hurt her so deeply in her heart that he was so blind and that he was so callous and that he was so just ignorant. I mean, I don't know what other word to put on that. That's ignorance right there, because the five symptoms of metabolic syndrome are belly fat. Right. Uh Low, low HDL, high triglycerides high blood sugar, and high blood pressure. Those are the five things that will make you have a heart attack and stroke. You notice in those, I didn't mention total cholesterol or LDL because they're not part of metabolic syndrome. They're not even in the, the diagnostic criteria for that. But And so 
total <laughs> cholesterol, if your doctor's still worried about total cholesterol, he's at least 10 years behind on his reading. Yeah. Yes. If your doctor's still worried about LDL cholesterol, he's about three years behind on his reading. And so the very fact that this doctor got triggered about LDL when this woman had literally reversed every single risk factor for heart attack and stroke that's ever been proven by modern medicine, I don't even know what to say about him. I like I would li- love to drive to Arizona and, and whip his ass. Yeah. That's what I'd love to do. Right. That's that that would make me feel better. But you yes. know what I'm saying? It's like there's I don't even know where to start with somebody like that. So if you've got a doctor like that, you just need to find a new doctor. And I've got a video on the YouTube channel of all the internet resources that you can use to find a doctor who thinks more like me. And there's six different internet sites that you can put in your zip code and you, within a hundred mile radius, it'll tell you if there's anybody who kind of thinks paleo, ancestral keto, mm-hmm. there's no carnivore doctors yet. Of course, I think there's two in the three in the whole world, me and Sean Baker and, and Ted Naiman, there may be two or three more, but not many, but right. who even know what carnivore is and will even entertain that conversation. But more and more doctors know about keto and ancestral and paleo. And so there, there are resources. You just got to look. And, it, and so go to your doctor, be respectful, be respectful of their time and say, I know you're busy. You ain't got time to look at this right now. I just want to leave this with you. Google it at your leisure. And then if, if this is wrong, then tell me how it's wrong next time I come. Or if it's right, then let's talk about that. And I think that's a very respectful thing to do with your doctor. Do not be afraid to do that. And if your doctor just shuts that down, then that's a huge red flag. Then go to that YouTube channel and put in your zip code and find a new doctor. Yeah, exactly. So that is great advice because that's, that's part of the fear when, you know, you go to the doctor and the first thing they look at, even though, like you said, like your patient, your new patient, everything else is awesome, but it's that cholesterol. And there's a lot of information also for just the lay person out there who can find out about how to talk to your doctor about cholesterol too. Um, because that's a big factor. That seems like all most doctors are looking at, you know, exactly. That's literally all they look at. Yeah. My uh, daughter-in-law is pregnant right now and her cholesterol, her, her HDL is really high. I was like, wow. But her LDL was just barely elevated. And they were like, oh, we're really concerned about this. And I was like, she's <laughs> oh my good God. to me. And I said, you're totally fine. You're better than yeah. like almost every client I have. <laughs> your, exactly. your cholesterol is perfect for, exactly. that's just crazy. You know, so that's but now let me tell you. So the average person goes to the average doctor. We'll say it's a 50 year old man. Right. And he goes, he's got high blood pressure and takes a pill for that. So his doctor is going to check the following labs. He's going to check a complete blood count, CBC. He's going to check probably a BMP, which is a basic metabolic panel, not even a CMP, a complete metabolic panel. He's going to definitely check that lipid panel and he's going to check a urine. And that's it. And so without checking a, a complete metabolic panel, this guy could have terrible, terrible fatty liver disease, and the doctor's blind to it. He can't see it in the labs because he didn't check the lab. He could have, and so we're gonna. This guy went fasting. He got his fasting blood sugar checked, and it was ninety-eight, which is within normal limits. But since the doctor didn't check a C peptide, a fasting insulin, or an A one C, this guy's got terrible, uncontrolled type two diabetes. The doctor's completely blind to it. He can't see it because he didn't check an A1C. All he saw was the fasting blood sugar, which even in a terribly uncontrolled type 2 diabetic can often be normal. This doc, the doc also, he just checked the TSH just to check, you know, say he checked the thyroid. 
this guy's got terrible, uncontrolled hypothyroidism, but the doctor couldn't see he's blind to it because all he checked was a TSH. So this guy is literally on death's door with fatty liver about to become cirrhosis, which is permanent damage to the liver. He's got terrible, uncontrolled diabetes, which is destroying all the tiny arteries in his brain, in his heart, in his kidneys, in his penis. Yeah, guys, I said penis. That's right. So (laughs) when you destroy all these little arteries, stuff stops working. Stuff starts failing. And then also he's got terrible hypothyroidism. So he's guaranteed he's going to gain more weight because it's impossible to lose weight if you have hypothyroid. It's not treated. But that is literally what most doctors check is a CBC, a BMP, a lipid panel, and a urine. And you can have multiple severely uncontrolled chronic disease and the doctor's totally blind to it. And he says, no, everything looks pretty good. Okay, I'll see you in six months. That is just flat scary. It it is. You know, people like you, you're getting the word out. uh, You're doing the hard work and getting on YouTube and putting the videos out so everybody can see them and and if you haven't seen any of uh, Dr. Barry's videos, you need to go watch them. They're great. Man, you need to skip the Netflix tonight and go binge watch Dr. <laughs> Barry on YouTube. On YouTube. Now, Thank I know you we've covered a lot of stuff. We want to be respectful of your time and, uh, and you know, make sure you can get to your practice that you have to keep up. Yeah, because he's got people driving from Arizona to see him. Now. I know. That's awesome. <laughs> and we can always have him back again. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I'd love yeah, to be back with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, and now I feel like I know you guys, right? Like, I feel like I could, you guys could come to dinner or vice versa. Absolutely. Oh, that would be fantastic. Oh, it would be a great conversation. Because we could just have steaks. Because trust exactly. me, our family is bored of going to dinner with us and talking about nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're like, no, not them again. <laughs> Dang it. I know. I love it. I love it. Well, we really yeah. appreciate your time. Um, it was a great oh, guest. It's been a pleasure. We definitely tell people where to find you. YouTube. Oh, let me tell you one more thing I'm doing now. So as if I'm not running my mouth enough, you guys, do you guys have an Alexa? You know what that is? Like the little home thing? We don't have one. (laughs) I now I have a brief on Alexa. And so I, I like every morning you can say, when you say Alexa, what's my daily brief? You can get two or three more minutes a day of me running my mouth about some keto topic. You really? can add me, you can enable the, the Alexa brief. And then every morning when you listen to whatever news you picked or whatever, you can have Dr. Barry's brief on your Alexa. So I'm pretty stoked about that because I love that, you know, while you're brushing your teeth, I can be teaching you about keto. That is the most awesome thing I have ever. not heard of this, but okay, we're getting an we, Alexa. we need to get on that for sure. <laughs> we're going to get an Alexa now. I love okay. it. All right. But the, now the NSA is going to monitor me, though. I know this. Is yeah. Because they're not <laughs> watching this right now, are they? Yeah, yeah. there's that vigilance right there. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you, you're being monitored, my friend, every day. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Because you're I, too I, dangerous. They have to keep an eye on you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those things. If I don't say anything bad, then I don't care if they monitor me. So, you know. Exactly. Yeah. We're good. So, well, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you again so much for sharing your time with us. We know you're you're busy, obviously, and um, all your time that you've given to us today is so appreciated. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Let's do this again sometime. All right. Well, everybody go eat fat and prosper. Yes, eat your meat. Thanks for listening to the Tasco Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to vtkquestions at gmail.com. 
and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.